The Joy of Six, Episode One. I have a dream. It is that at long last, I'm going, at the age of 54, or maybe 55, or 56, or 57, this could take years, to experience glory on the sports pitch. Something I never ever came close to, either in my school days or afterwards. In rugby, I never scored a try. In football, I never scored a goal. In tennis, I never won a tournament. And in cricket, above all in cricket, I never hit a six. I never even came close. Now, I know what the cricketers amongst you are thinking. Silly bastard thinks cricket is all about hitting sixes. Now, I know that it's not. It's about a million things, maybe even a billion things. To say that cricket is about hitting a six is like saying that love is entirely about bringing a woman to orgasm. It's crude and it misses the point. To score a six in a match, you have to be selected for a proper team that actually plays a proper match. And it means that you've managed to hold your own at the wicket for long enough to relax into a game. For that, you probably need to be low enough down the batting order that if the other batsmen sharing your innings get out, then there's someone to replace them. Because if you're just a tail-end Charlie, the chances are your innings, on those occasions when you even get one, are going to be very short. And you're going to have no chance of settling in as the game is generally nearly over. And if you do chance to get settled in, you need to have sufficient technique and confidence and strength and judgment to hit that hard bastard of a ball with the right part of that awkward bastard of a bat so that it flies high enough and far enough to cross that far distant white line. And then you can look up to the sky finally and thank the gods of sport Finally, at the age of 54, or 55, or 56, or however long it takes. I live at the bottom of a hill in a country location. Our road is a mixture of farms and cottages spread out amongst arable land and horse fields. At the top of the hill is a hamlet with a pub and a cricket club with a fine cricket field. It has a reputation for its youth team, which has excelled at county level and has a very active village cricket team and an annual dad's game. For several years now, I've been toying with the idea of getting back into the game, but I've not been moving particularly fast. One of my many flaws is extreme slowness and hesitancy. About four years ago, I brought some cricket pads when I came across them in a charity shop. When I walked back into the house with them, my wife laughed heartily at the sight clearly feeling that this was some sort of hopeless vanity on my part and that they would never be used. Despite this provocation, they have indeed laid in the cupboard under the stairs for years. About two years ago, I experienced a horrendous setback with an old and very dull sciatica-type issue when I was forced entirely against my will to go to Disneyland Paris, that great festival of queuing, and that did for my left leg for two whole years. Like a lot of people in their 50s, I've got my niggling health issues, and this one is a real sod. But recently, I've been getting into some self-improvement. Lockdown saw me finally open up to the self-help industry and take a look at a few books. The chief thing that I've learned 
is that I need to work on me. Everything, it seems, is down to me. If I can sort me out, the rest will fall into place. And a big part of sorting me out is doing some nice things for me, apparently. Putting me first. I know it sounds selfish, but apparently it works. And part of putting me first means getting back into cricket and scoring a six. Now that is, I admit, a little odd, because I was never a great cricket fan. Chiefly because time hangs heavy enough for a 12-year-old, particularly a dreamy, impatient and highly imaginative child like I was. And a cricket game can feel like half a summer wasted, sitting around, scratching the earth and waiting for your turn to bat. But time doesn't hang heavy now. Time flies now. And I know in my heart of hearts that cricket is a good game, because despite all the memories of boredom, I can also still remember the thrill of being in a cricket game, really inside the drama of it. And I know that that is something rare and valuable in a life now filled with emptying the dishwasher and fighting with small children about whether 9.30 is too late to go to bed. M is a large, friendly Dutchman, much more than a decade younger than me, with a naive, childlike manner. He's got this big lug persona that is developed by large, well-built men in order to appear non-threatening. Now, out of the men that I know in the village, he's probably the friendliest. That is not to say that he is a friend at this point, but friendship is quite a tough proposition these days. The demands on time make it a bit of a stretch. Nobody wants to add pressure to male relationships by putting any kind of label on them. M is keen on sport. He plays football with a local team and he plays to win. In the summer, on weekends and weekday evenings, he plays in cricket matches. For him, sport is the very stuff of life. It is M who first suggested that I might like to rock up to the local cricket club sometime and join in a session at the Nets. This suggestion, made with little thought, was an extremely radical idea to me. Sport generally doesn't appeal to me, and it never really did. I mean, of course, at school, it played a huge part in daily life, to the point where even somebody like me, who had no interest in it, got caught up in the mania and dreamed of glory. In fact, dreaming of glory and dreaming generally is a bit of speciality of mine. My response to M's invitation was to start to dream of playing cricket again. But at that time, my problem with my left leg was a bit up and down. Some days it was good, some days I could barely walk. But I was working hard on my fitness, swimming daily, and the leg was getting better. Then Disneyland happened and I was back to square one. That was over two years ago. M's attitude to cricket is philosophical. He came to a barbecue recently and as he sat chomping on a burger, he said, Cricket is mainly about disappointment and failure. Do you mean, I asked, that the triumphs are so few and far between that they are barely worth mentioning? The triumphs, when they come, if they come, should be properly celebrated, he said. M got me so excited about cricket that during the break in lockdown, I cycled up the hill on the usual night when they play in the nets, only to find that the gates to the ground were locked with a COVID-19 sign up saying that the nets were off the menu. But this week, I got a message from M that the nets were back and he suggested an evening session. I confirmed it with M and he confirmed it back and I sent a thumbs up to confirm that I'd got his confirmation. Heading up there, I was very cautious and I did not cycle the steepest part of the hill in case I triggered leg problems. As I cycled through the hamlet, I waved at someone who I went to prep school with nearly half a century before. 
a keen cricketer, he'd recently had to give up playing sport altogether due to a myriad of injuries and health problems. A reminder that I was at the age when sport starts to be purely a spectator activity for many people. Yet here I was embarking on a whole new sporting, well, not career, but hobby, or revisiting what had once been something I'd been forced to do reluctantly, had done badly and found dull and frustrating and humiliating. I was coming back for more punishment. On arrival at the ground, there was just one vehicle on the grass with a cricket bag sticking out the open boot. But on the field, I saw three men and a little girl. M was immediately recognisable, a hulking figure carrying a few extra COVID-19 pounds. As I approached, I recognised one of the others. He's the man who used to own my house. He was drinking a bottle of beer and smoking a fag, and he was chatting to M. Further away, a South African, who I had once bumped into on a country walk, was whacking tennis balls high into the air for his daughter. We stood chatting and I was conscious that, due to lockdown, this was the first time I had stood with men and talked men talk for nearly six months. In fact, this trip to the cricket nets suddenly felt like my official emergence from lockdown. The little girl was somehow dispatched. I let on that I had not played a game for over 20 years and I was informed by M that my bowling arm would be agony the next day. While M padded up, I examined his bat. It was brand new, and it had two distinct red cricket ball marks on it, indicative of the two contacts that he had made with the ball in his last match before he was run out. His comment about how cricket was all disappointment and failure came back to me. As we prepared to start bowling at M, I realised that I was probably way more relaxed than I ever would have been at school. At school, piss-taking was the main activity going on all the time, and everyone was always on the lookout for anything that anyone did at any time that could be ridiculed. These guys were all just here to have a good time, relaxing away from their wives, doing something which they loved. I couldn't quite get out of my head, however, the feeling that I might be about to make a fool of myself. I always quite fancied myself as a bowler, but I never achieved any acclaim or recognition for this at school. In every cricket match I ever played, I had a gnawing feeling that I was being underused as a bowler due to some prejudice against me, possibly due to my short stature, scruffy appearance, and tendency to play the joker at every opportunity. In my memory, whenever I was allowed to bowl, I did rather well, but this may be my memory playing tricks with me. Perhaps one day I'll go back to my prep school and see if they've kept the old score sheets, but I'm pretty sure I got the odd wicket when I was put into bowl. But when it happened, it was always treated as a freak occurrence. It was always in practice games anyway, and I was never put into a proper team. When I bowl, I start by looking at the wicket and pointing the seam of the ball at the wicket through my fingers, a sort of setting of my sights. I like a good long run-up, and I try to be a fast bowler, although I'm fairly certain, and nobody's ever taken the trouble to classify me, that I would be labelled as an erratic mid-paced bowler. The last game I remember playing was for a village team in Sussex when I was 23. I don't remember much about that game, except that I didn't distinguish myself in any way, and when I came out to bat, the entire opposition team started being very rude about my scruffy appearance. I played school cricket from the age of 8 to the age of 16, when I discovered that you could choose tennis instead. Now here I was at the age of 54, getting ready to bowl my first ball for almost 30 years. 
I knew not to try and bowl fast. I was going to break myself back into this whole thing gradually. In fact, my whole approach was to be conservative, cautious, concentrate on technique and not attempt to set off fireworks. I bowled my first ball and it bounced three quarters of the way down the wicket. M performed the classic defensive shot. Bold, he said, and I felt a rush of pride. The other two gents made no comment, but that was good. I felt a strange feeling in my arm, as though too much blood had rushed into it and was now failing to depart. An unpleasant feeling. Was all this going to end up with me having to slope off injured after bowling a few balls? I held my arm up and I gave it a bit of a shake. Each time I bowled I did this and after a while I realised that the arm was settling in. Perhaps it was remembering what this bowling business was all about. The fact that there were two others bowling at M was excellent. It gave me a chance to recover between balls and there was lots of chit-chat. The South African was clearly a very good bowler. Jay, who used to live in my house, bowled too high several times and hit the top of the net, causing the ball to plunge to earth and dribble to a standstill before reaching the wicket. Back at school, such a thing would have been greeted with gleeful mockery. Here we were in a grown-up world where you could make mistakes. Both mentioned shoulder injuries. Thus is the world of cricket in your forties and fifties. I was really enjoying myself. I think what I realised is that cricket without the piss-taking, the waiting to bowl, the sudden brutal humiliation of being out, is rather a wonderful way to spend a beautiful late August evening. M mentioned that my balls were swinging and explained what this meant. It happened, he said, as a natural result of the action of my bowling, but was also partly due to the way that I held the ball, with the seam showing straight between my fingers as I held it before bowling. I must have bowled thousands of balls at school, and nobody ever told me this. When M suggested that I might like to have a bat, I felt a rush of fear, but realised that I was going to have to do this. Batting is my great weakness. Even in the very first flush of youth, I used to have trouble seeing the ball in the last few yards. With very fast bowlers, I sometimes didn't see it at all. Now I was wearing glasses, but my eyes seemed to deteriorate so fast that whatever glasses I wear seemed to go out of date almost immediately. I put on my charity shop pads and Jay went over to the clubhouse and got me some gloves. M offered his box, which I thought was very generous of him. I wondered if I could really put on another man's box down my trousers, but then I realised the prospect of a cricket ball hitting me straight in the testicles made it absolutely imperative that I did. As a gesture to hygiene, I wore the box outside my boxers. Although M hadn't worn a helmet, he suggested that I should put his on as, as he put it, you might nick it and send the ball up to your head. I was not going to argue. Fully togged out, but not in cricket whites, it has to be said, just jeans, t-shirt and a very old pair of brown leather shoes, I stood waiting to receive the first ball. I had anticipated this moment, and I recalled a promise that I'd made to myself. I was going to play defensively. There was no point in trying to slog it, for now I just needed to show myself that I could play a few balls without looking like a twit. The South African had left now, so I was being bowled at by just M and J. M plays a lot of cricket, and like everyone, has his own personal style. This involves him doing a little dance with his feet as he runs up, as though he had suddenly realised he was putting the wrong foot forward and needed to switch over. The first few balls I blocked, missing some and hitting a few awkwardly. M is very generous with praise. Well hit, he said several times. J, who coaches kids, cricket, told me that I was stiff and needed to relax my lower hand, so that I was blocking with less force. It felt like the first bit of batting coaching I had ever received, but I'm sure that the truth is that as a child of nine or ten, 
I probably didn't listen to any adult when they told me anything ever. The general consensus was that I had equipped myself well for someone who had not played for two decades. As we sat in the fading light, drinking bottles of bitter from the clubhouse, the conversation was dominated by Jay, who seemed to have a lot of cricket talk to unload. It was a sort of full immersion in conversational cricket of the village cricket variety. There was a whole subculture of people generously volunteering to coach kids who range from mad keen to reluctant and who are, on the whole, difficult to train because they are exactly as I was, incapable of taking in information when it comes from a grown man. Jay spends his whole time trying to tell the kids to just block sensibly until they have relaxed. Only then, and only if you get a particular kind of ball, should you ever attempt to hit it for a four or a six. This sound advice was probably drummed into me at eleven, but again, I wouldn't have listened. I was listening now. I was blissfully happy because I had just played cricket and was not in any pain. I had not been ridiculed or done anything ridiculous, and had even been praised for my bowling, told that I was doing very well for someone who hadn't dot 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 etc, and had actually slightly improved my batting with a little bit of coaching, and gained a useful insight into my own bowling to boot. Somewhat euphoric and thirsty, I drank three pints in quick succession, while Jay talked and talked, unloading all his current cricket gripes and concerns. M and I nodded and occasionally interjected. Right at the end came the icing on the cake, when Jay said very casually, We've got the dad's game on the 5th of September, if you want to come along. One session in the nets, and I had been invited to play in a proper match. Listen to the next episode to find out if I meet triumph or despair in the dad's match. And if you like this podcast, please consider supporting me at patreon.com. My name is Adam Preston. So until next time, goodbye and good luck. Oh, no. Oh, no.